welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Let us hear our Lord from the word of God. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's world-changing word. May we hear its call afresh in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So uh, since we had so many opportunities on the platform to talk about Uh, reaching people for Christ. Those that are going to be reached tomorrow that are young people right in this room through the VBS challenges. Those that are going to be reached in Denver through those that have been discipled in our high school and, and and middle school ministry who are going to hear the gospel. And these that are being reached and uh, are living out their faith in Bangladesh. Uh, I wanted to to take the the, the remainder of our message time this Sunday, depart from Luke a little bit, and, uh, and just remind you about why we do all of this and how this fits in to the biblical mission we have. It's part of my responsibility to remind you often of the mission of our church. And It's an essential part of what we do, and I'm going to do that today. In the brief time that I have, I'm going to answer three questions about our mission statement. What exactly is our mission statement? Number one, how do you develop it? How did we develop it? And thirdly, what are the key elements of it? And we're going to revisit it together because it's important to remember your mission. Uh, Mission is essential if you're going to have clarity and really results in ministry. And Six years ago now, uh, myself and our board of elders and our pastors gathered and we spent months uh, of time over that year clarifying our core values, our vision statement, and our mission statement. And out of that, we've been doing things strategically ever since as a church. And uh, the mission statement is the fits on a t-shirt part that you're most familiar with which is making, teaching, and sending disciples for the glory of God. And that captures why we're here. And uh, it's essential for me to communicate it on a regular basis. I've not been as good about it as I should, but I saw this as a Sunday where we could do that. Mission is essential. Just a few words of introduction before we get to talk about what a mission statement is and how we develop that and what the features are. Um, Before we get to what exactly is a mission statement, let me just repeat the fact that it's essential for who we are. Um, It's essential if you're going to have clarity about what you do, and it's essential to be driven to what God wants you to do. So I'm reminded in the scripture that Jesus had mission clarity. He really did. In John chapter 4, verse 34, 
Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was on mission from the calling of God the Father. And it, it filled him. It, it satisfied him to do the will of God. And the Father had sent him to accomplish specific work. Years later in John 17, and as he was praying over the disciples, the night he was betrayed, and heading to the cross, Jesus prayed to the Father, and he said, Father, I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So Jesus not only had mission clarity, he was able to accomplish the mission that God the Father had sent him upon. So mission is crucial. It allows you to stay focused on what God wants you to do, and you can look back on the fruit of your life and know that you were on, on task. The Apostle Paul was similar in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. He had an idea of wanting to please God in very specific ways. He said, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, using the image of a runner toward the finish line of the race, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul wanted to please God. He wanted to finish out and finish the race that he had been given. And he wanted to stay on mission. He didn't want to run somebody else's race. He didn't want to fall out of his race. He didn't want to run on, on the wrong course of a race. He wanted to finish well. And so you could say that there was a certain mission consciousness that Paul had. And Paul, indirectly, in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, said the church as a body is to be aware of what God wants from her as the bride of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Paul said, so whether we are at home or away, in other words, uh, on the earth or, or when we head to heaven, we make it our aim to please him. And so it applies, it's, it was symbolized in the life of Jesus, followed out by the life of the Apostle Paul, and the church is to have a passion for pleasing God. Now, when we gathered as a group of elders six years ago, there was a phrase that I often repeated as I led those discussions, uh, a number of phrases that I used to keep us on track or help us to remember the why. And that phrase was this, we will never do ministry that matters until we define what matters. We'll never do ministry that matters until we define what matters. And here we are as a church, and six years ago we were in the same context, there are all kinds of reasons that churches can give themselves for being here. All kinds of things that churches can get themselves involved in. All kinds of passions they can lose themselves to. But we wanted to define what God wanted, and we went to the Word to do that. We spent time in the scriptures. We spent time asking God, not was questions built around not what we preferred, but what he had commanded. We really did want to get our focus right. We wanted to understand what the proper mission of the church was. We wanted to make sure we got it right because we serve him, not ourselves. But we also wanted to make sure we got it right because our research showed us that um, Mission helps churches be effective. Uh, the Barna Research Group did some research around the time we were doing this. It's probably about the same now, maybe a little bit less. 
But they demonstrated that an understanding of a mission is very hard to find in most churches. Barna's research showed that less than 10% of all American churches have a mission, a mission statement and a mission commitment, less than 10%. And so we wanted to break out of that ghetto pretty quickly. Once you gain an understanding of your vision and your mission, it actually creates a certain sense of organizational momentum, and that's what we discovered too. One writer put it this way, having a mission enables your church to stop putting out fires and start setting a few. I thought that was good. Aubrey Malfers, who, whose work we used a lot, who was an acquaintance of mine, uh, a faculty member at Dallas Seminary, who's done a lot of great work in helping churches define their vision and mission. We used his work a lot, and he helped me in my past. That's what he said. Having a mission enables your church to stop putting out fires and start setting a few. I like it. He also said having a clear mission enables your church to move from a maintenance mentality to a ministry mentality. And churches always have to battle that. It's always something you have to deal with because uh, people settle in and, and, and practices settle and you just kind of get involved in maintaining who you are instead of doing what God wants you to do. So all of that is kind of preliminary to, 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 to the remarks I want to make. But that was our thinking six years ago. I preached a whole series on it. In fact, I preached for a number of weeks on it. We laid it out before you. And in all the time since then, when there's been an occasion, I've actually retaught it to you. You may not remember. That's okay. That's why I'm here every week. Um, for example, when we had a baptism service a little over a year ago, year and a half ago, I, I uh, preached out of our vision statement and talked about the fact that people being baptized is a fulfillment of our vision statement, which is a detailed description of how the world can change if we evangelize. Then when we had new members two years ago, I think, I also took that as an opportunity to teach from our core values. And I teached and uh, taught from that. You guys all had a handout, and I reminded you about the nature of the, the kind of disciple we want to form here. So haven't done it enough, but have done it some. So today, knowing that we were going to have our friends here, knowing that we were going to dedicate some of our people to ministry, I wanted to take the time to reintroduce you to our mission statement and just give you the detail again. Again, now to the three questions. What exactly is your mission statement, number one? Um, there's a, there's a, a definition, I think we have it, that it summarizes and provides the church with its biblical task and it defines the results, there it is, that it seeks to obtain. So what's a mission statement? It's a tool. Is it biblical? You can't find it in the Bible, but it's a human tool to kind of act out what the Bible teaches. It's, it's something that we put into words, and we, what we learned in our planning was that a mission statement summarizes and provides a church with its biblical task, and it defines the results that it seeks to obtain. So this is why we mention this the most. It's the shortest statement, but it's, it's, it's derived biblically, and it reminds us about why we're here. Summarizes it, provides clarity. And the, when, when you think about um, mission statements, the next question is, how do you develop one? Now, I'll stop here and admit that mission statements, just like vision statements and even strategic plans, they're all borrowed from the secular world, aren't they? 
They're borrowed from the corporate environment. And you may have, uh, in, in your life, you're, you're part of a business right now or an organization or an entity that has all three of those. They've got core values that they've laid out for what is kind of the heartbeat of who they are. They've got a, a vision statement about how they want to change the marketplace with what they're bringing to market. And then they've got a mission statement that fits on the wall. In fact, you might know the wall in the offices where you work, where that mission statement is. A mission statement that talks about in one sentence your mission as a company. And, you know, I had that experience. I wasn't always in the ministry. I stepped out into the marketplace for a number of years. And I worked in sales and then sales management and then broadcasting. And I was in a a variety of organizations. Some small business entities and some publicly held companies. And, And a number of them, particularly the larger organizations, had mission statements. And I remember them well, and I remember being able to walk down the hallway and stop in front of one of the mission statements on the plaque there and run my finger along the top of it and see the dust on the top of the mission statement. Because that's about as far as it went in most of the organizations I was with. Out of all the companies that I worked for, uh, several publicly traded companies and well-established firms, um, only one ever communicated its mission to its employees. Only one went out of its way to train you on it. Only one kept coming back as decisions were made to the vision and the values. And uh, I remember the experience, and I remember thinking, wow, if I'm ever in a position, we want to act act on ours a little bit more. But one of the the distinctives about mission statements in the corporate world that shouldn't transfer over to the church world is this. In the corporate world, Uh, you conceived your own mission statement. Every one of the companies I worked for, it was several different industries, was involved in a different industry or a different focus of of the same industry, and each of them had different mission statements. The reason was they were all in a different kind of business. And they gave themselves their mission statement. They sat in rooms just like we did and talked about the advantage of their product and the market they wanted to penetrate and their distinctives of their offering as they brought it to the marketplace, what kind of, what kind of returns they wanted and everything else. And w- what was kind of widgy about their widget? Does any of that make any sense to anybody? Some of you people on the world, we're, we're making widgets of one kind or another, right? Their ideas or their, their actual products. But you figured out what was widgy about your widget and what you really wanted to do, and that kind of defined your mission statement. The thing about the business world is you get to, you get to conceive your own mission statement because it's your own product, and you're in charge of your own little entity. That's not the way it should be with the church. The church doesn't get to conceive its own mission and give itself its own purpose because the church doesn't belong to itself. Does that make sense? The church belongs to someone else. We're his church. We don't get to conceive a mission statement. Listen to this. We are to receive one. And that was very clear as we looked at this as elders. We could give ourselves a unique purpose that really made us feel different and special or that we really wanted to get after. But that's not being biblically faithful. What we decided to do was go to the Bible and receive our mission from God from what he had already said. And that's what we did. We went to the scripture and we received our mission statement. And I'm really glad we did because if you just kind of give yourself your own purpose as a church, you can be doing something that's good, but that's not the best. You can be doing something that appeals to you, but may not be on his heart. 
You can get it partly right, but not biblically right. Again, I go to Dr. Malfers in his book, Advanced Strategic Planning, A New Model for Church and Ministry Leaders, and he, he put it this way. More than 2,000 years ago, the Savior predetermined and gave the church its biblical mission. It is the Great Commission, which is to make and mature believers. It's found in Matthew 28, which I just read to us. He said, a church that pursues any other mission is pursuing the wrong mission, no matter how noble it may be. I read that to our elders, and I handed it out on a handout, and I said, let's not be one of those churches that gets after what it wants, but misses what God wanted. And it's real easy to do, because what you're going to do is you're going to start doing what you like to do as a church, or what you enjoy as a church. Dr. Malfers goes on, he says, for example, some churches get misdirected, and the mission of some teaching churches is to preach the Bible. Now, we love to preach the Bible here. Pastor Dan mentioned it in in the opening. We're very serious about expositing the Bible and deepening people in the Word of God, but that's not the fullness of our mission. If we were that way, we would just be a teaching church, and and we would be a location for for filling people with more truth, and that would be the sum total of our passion. I would tell you from our elders' point of view, that's a part of what we do, but that's not the essence of what we're doing in terms of the long-term goal. Some uh, churches, Aubers writes, uh, uh, are worship-oriented churches. And so their goal is to pursue a full and fuller experience and emotion of worship. And that's what you know is going to happen when you go there. They're famous for it. Well, that's a good thing, but that's not the fullness of what God said. So he says some some church's mission is fellowship. And he says, but that's a good thing, but that's not the, the right thing either. And they're often smaller churches, he notes. He says, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. These are all good things that are found in the Bible, but they by themselves are not the great commission. They may lead to the great commission, but they're not the totality of it. Jesus gave us one mission. I hope you see that. It's real easy to get involved in what you like or what you're good at. But again, this isn't our organization. It's his We don't get to conceive our mission. We are to receive our mission from the word of God. So there's a distinction for churches. So I've just explained to you that we decided to use the mission statement idea to lead our church. We did it six years ago now, six or seven actually. And uh, what we've done over recent time is just continue to flesh that out. But we didn't conceive it, we received it. We studied the word, we went to all the passages on the Great Commission, and then we wrote our mission statement. So that's the third thing I want to do today, is just go over the the elements of that with you. So let me actually ask the mission statement to be brought up on the screen if I can. So we're going to look at the key elements. The mission, and in fact, I'd like you guys to wake up, and I'd like you to read that out loud with me, Okay. The mission of Valley Forth Church to make, teach, and send disciples for the glory of God. Why are you here? Well, I like this about Valley Forth, or I like that about Valley Forth, or I'm here because so-and-so is here, or I'm here because my family drives me every week. No, no, no. You just said why you really ought to be here, to make, teach, and send disciples for the glory of God. That is the statement that we derived a number of years ago. It remains for us. So let's, let's take a look at the elements as I kind of bring this to a focus for just a few more moments. It's based out of Matthew 28. That was the guiding text that I read to you as we opened. 
Jesus came, said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's the given mission of every church. Now you look at that, and, you, and, and, and one question will come to your mind as you analyze it, and that is, there's a lot there. Which part is the most important part? Because if you look at it just as an English student, there are multiple verbs in this command. There's kind of a string of them. I mean, you've got going, verse 19. That's a command. Go, that's a, that's a verbal command. Make disciples is another one. Baptizing is a, still a third one. And there are churches and denominations that are actually built almost more around that. Again, I got, kind of gotten off on the trail there. But that's a verb. That's a command. Is that, is, is that the most important dominating part of it? And finally, verse 20, teaching. That's a command that follows it as well. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Which, which is, is the main point? Well, if you take a look at the Greek language, which I don't have time to explain today, there is one main verbal construction in this, and it's the phrase or the command, make disciples. All the other verbal phrases or particles kind of rotate around that. So the most important thing to be doing as a church is making disciples. How do you make disciples? You do the other things. You go, you, you, you evangelize, you baptize, and you teach. So you see all of that going on. So there's a main verb, and it's a command in the Bible. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not for the ultra-committed Christian. It's not for the, for the unusual church. It's Christ's command to the disciples, through them to us. How do I know it's through them to us? Because he said, teach them all that I'm commanding you. What did he just command it to the disciples? Make disciples. What were they supposed to teach the first church? Make disciples. What were they supposed to continue to teach? Make disciples. Here we are 20 centuries later. What are we supposed to be about? Making. Thank you, class. Some of you are with me. The rest, no donuts. (laughs) So I hope you understand that it's as clear as clear could be as you look at it. Now, it doesn't talk about certain activities that we might think churches are graded by. He didn't say, go out and gather attendees. You notice that? That's a good thing. It's a good thing to to draw people in to the hearing of the word and being involved in your ministries. But it's not the thing. He doesn't say, go and build compelling programs. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, we seek to build programs here, building structures for people to hear the truth and grow in the truth. But the program itself was not the essence of it. He didn't even say, go out and be known as, as a group of people who live out acts of mercy and compassion. Now, that's a little controversial because that's being exalted today as the true mark of spirituality. That's not according to the words or the ministry context that Jesus demonstrated. Is it a bad thing? No, it's a good thing. It's a a way of showing the love of God in a lost culture, but it's not the thing. Don't let it replace truth-bearing discipleship. So the main thing is making disciples. Didn't say go out and make decisions either. Now that's really tempting. It's really tempting to be able to create ministry context where people raise their hands or fill out a card or, or, or whatever. It goes beyond decision to deepening. I know that because the word disciple, 
The best way to translate that Greek word is a learning believer. Let me repeat that. What's a disciple? A learning believer. He's come to faith. He or she has found Christ through salvation, and now they are a constantly learning believer. They are growing in the truth that we teach, and that's why we're teaching heavy church. They're growing in the truth that's communicated to them, and they're living it out through believing it as God's will for their life. So do you want to be a learning believer? That's what God has in mind for you, and that's the kind of disciple we want to create. Not simply the bec- somebody that becomes converted, but somebody that continues. John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. He was saying that to some fans that hadn't fully become disciples. What is a disciple? One of the things Jesus said is they are somebody that abides in the word of God. They're learning believers. So deepening through the truth is how a disciple is made. They they convert and they continue. Now, why is that important? Because again, particularly in the West, we get pretty enthralled with momentary decisions, with notching a bunch of numbers on our biblical belt of the number of people that raised their hands or came to an event, and we say we're achieving the Great Commission. No, those might be conversions, but they are not continuing. Where are they today? Where are they uh, some months from now? The Great Commission is about moving people from commitment into the deepening of the Christian walk. It's about leading them to Jesus and deepening them in Jesus. Otherwise, you have somebody that claims to be a believer, looks somewhat like a believer, but when you kind of bite into the depth of their life, you find out they may not be a believer. It's a little bit like making sugar cookies. I know you've been with me over 10 years. You've never, ever heard me do an illustration out of the kitchen. Well, I'm going to do one. Some of you know how to make sugar cookies. A lot of you do. It's one of the simpler things. I think they teach it. They taught it in home ec. They don't teach home ec anymore, but here's the directions. I researched this. Preheat oven to 375 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 190 degrees centigrade for you continental people. In a small bowl, stir together flour, baking soda, and baking powder. Sound good so far? Some of you kitchen pros? Some of you guys are nodding. I'm impressed. Two, in a large bowl, cream together. Have no idea how you do that, but cream together the butter and sugar until smooth. Beat in the egg and the vanilla. Shape and set. So, Have you made sugar cookies? Whoa, I'm so glad to hear that. (laughs) There's one crucial step you missed. Step three, place in the oven and bake eight to 10 minutes until golden. (laughs) Then you have a sugar cookie. Before that, you got sugar shapes. I don't know. If you only do steps one and two, you might have a sugar cookie, but it's not even half baked. Sorry for the pun, but that's the truth. (laughs) has all the ingredients. It's been mixed right. Tastes kind of right. That's why I said when you bite into it, it tastes familiar, but it doesn't really taste real. And sometimes that can be the case if we mistake bringing a person to decision and not development. 
there's, it's, it's just my quaintest way today of being able to, 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 to talk about the fact that we want to build believing learners, growing people. And there are three processes by which that happens. And if you look at our mission statement again, making, teaching, and sending, there are three parts to how we do it. Making was our phrase as elders that describes bringing a person to Christ and establishing them in Christ. So making is our word for evangelism. We realize you can't make a disciple until you go out and bring them to the faith. So the word making in terms, it encapsulates, encapsulates rather evangelism. Creating conversations like Sam talked about, gospel conversations, doing activities where people come under the hearing of the word here, whatever it might be, and a person comes to see the gospel and they trust in Christ, and then we take them into some of the basics of the Christian life and we baptize them, and that's the word baptizing at the end of verse 19. So evangelizing, developing, and baptizing, that's all under the phrase making. If you ever wonder what that means in our mission statement, you could call it the winning part of evangelism. And that's why we do it, and that's why we baptize. You know, I mean, leading people to Christ, their salvation is genuine enough to make them want a desire to make a public confession of their faith in Christ. We want to encourage that by encouraging baptism. Does baptism save you? No, but it demonstrates your faith. And so that's why in a couple of weeks we're going to see that happen. And we've, been, we've seen it consistently through our ministry. It's not a ritual, it's a demonstration. Somebody asked somebody, why is baptism so important? And the answer was given, because you can't see a salvation. You ever think about that for a minute? I mean, when, when people might say they've trusted Christ, when people might demonstrate certain things, well, baptism is a way of visualizing to the whole church that that conviction has gone deeper in your life. So making is the winning part. That's evangelism. Then teaching is the building part. And that's why we focus on that here. Luke 24 and verse 45, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scripture. It was key to the ministry and life of teaching of Jesus Christ. He was a teaching shepherd. And it was carried on in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul in Acts 20, 27 summed up his whole ministry in the church at Ephesus. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, the way, the way I understand that, that's talking about all the teaching of God's word connected together. That's another way that we describe it with the word doctrine. And we're talking about deep teaching. We're not just talking about packaging a bunch of principles for everyone to enjoy life more. We're talking about the whole counsel of God, verse by verse through books of the Bible, bringing messages that bring the truth of the Bible together and topical messages and doctrinal teaching as well so you understand the Bible truth connected. That's what it takes to grow as a deep disciple. So making is the winning part. Teaching is the building part. And that's what one of the things we're committed to do here. It's a strength for us. What's sending? Well, we saw sending today. People finding their ministry opportunity and stepping into it. That's where Jesus says, you do this and take it and, and send people to all nations. So there's the winning part, the building part, and the ministry part. And there's two places for you to find your ministry. One is right where you are, and for others, where God stirs you and sends you. Most of us, it's going to be right where we are in the world in which God has placed us. 
the everyday space where you are. And do you realize that that's a part of the place where the Great Commission is supposed to take place? Mission is not for unreached cultures in other people groups. It's for the unreached people in your people group. David Jeremiah said the only way the corporate body of Christ will fulfill the mission Christ has given it is for individual Christians to have a vision for fulfilling that mission personally, not delegating it to gifted pastors or called missionaries or cool programs, but you living it out in your space in the world. Did you know that your world needs you, your world right now, the nine to fiver you're going to walk into tomorrow? Why? Because you're the only believer there. Probably. So you find it where you are, and sometimes, as you heard in Jonathan's story, you discover it and where God is moving upon you to go. My counsel for you is always listen for that stirring. You may not know in what place or even at what time in your life it may happen. Don't disobey it. John Stott said we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God, absolutely. And the mark of a great church, I don't know who said this, but I've always liked this, is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. And so we all want to be stirred by this. So I, I, I wanted to take this service, since we have living examples of going out on mission, I wanted to remind you about what all of our shared mission is, what we decided as leaders it was, what I'm committed to as your senior pastor, and I wanted to, again, be faithful to bring it into your hearing. You say, well, I'm kind of overwhelmed. Where do I start? Well, where did the disciples start? In verse 16 of Matthew 28, they simply showed up. That was all they had to do. Jesus said, meet me in Galilee after my resurrection. I'll take care of the rest. So they met him. They didn't know anything. He gives them the Great Commission. How successful were they at it? Well, let me ask you this. What are we doing sitting here if they weren't successful? You are the success of their commission. You're living proof that it still works to this day. It still changes lives. Jonathan and Quinn are living uh, testimonies to the fact that it moves and sprouts and souls in any culture God is on the move, and I just want to encourage us to continue to be part of that. Last time I spoke on this issue, I left with a quote that I said, you may, you may not feel that compelled by what I'm saying, you may not feel attached to it, but at least from this day forward, your Christian life doesn't have to be a tragedy because you now know what you're supposed to do. What's a tragedy? It's a situation whose outcome could have been different if the person had acted differently. Now you know what God wants. People look at lives and call them tragic when they're not. Helen Keller, a uh, world-famous example of a life lived on purpose, not a believer by any stretch of the imagination, but she, she did grab a hold of wanting to make a difference. She was uh, blinded by a scarlet fever when she was 18 months old, not only blinded but made deaf. But we know that through a person who was also on mission, a person named Annie Sullivan, who reached into her world, she became a worldwide influencer, writer, teacher, and leader. And she would often speak at seminars and conferences, and they'd seat her in the lobby, and people would just kind of trail by to, to touch her hand. And every once in a while, somebody would come and be thoughtless about it, and they would look down on her in her seat, and they would say, Oh, Miss Keller, your life is such a tragedy. 
And she would quietly look up through those glazed-over eyes, and she says, oh, my life's not a tragedy. The most tragic person in the world is someone who has sight but has no vision. You don't get to be that person anymore. You now know what God wants to do. I pray you'll find your place in it with us. 